Morning. It's great to uh, be with you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Al. I'm one of the elders at Gateway. I'm normally based over at our uh, east site, so they've let me out for the morning um, to come and share with you guys, um, but I am heading off there um, in a bit. There's lots of faces here I don't recognise. Um, just want to extend my welcome to you um, as well. One of the challenges of being across two sites is that as the church grows and as, as new people come in, we don't always get to know one another, um, but I hope and pray that you feel welcome here, part of the family that God is building here, um, as we seek to be faithful to all that God has called us to. Um, we are midway through a preaching series in the book of Haggai, the third to last uh, book of the Old Testament, and really this book is a call for God's people to respond to God's voice and put him first and foremost and above everything in their lives. And this message, which was spoken two and a half thousand years ago, is as relevant today as it was then. You see, the call to the people at that time was, will they be faithful to the promises of God in their generation? And will they put God above everything? Will they seek his glory more than anything else in their lives? And man, if that question is not relevant uh, to us today, then I don't know what is. And the drumbeat of this book that goes over and over and over again is this, that when we are passionate about the glory of God, we prioritize the things that God is passionate about. When we are passionate about the glory of God, we prioritize the things that God is passionate about. And today we're going to be in Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. And I'm going to start by reading the passage, and then I'm going to lay a little bit of groundwork to help us understand the context. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to then go through this passage, and we're going to apply it um, today. And we're going to be pausing at 11 o'clock um, as well to do two-minute silence, and then Nigel's going to come and lead us in prayer as well off the back of that. But if you're one who takes notes in preaches, then if you want a one-liner for today, it's this. The foundation stone changes everything. That's the key message for today. The foundation stone changes everything. So we're going to read from Haggai 2, uh, verse 10 to 19. It should come up on the screen if you haven't got a Bible with you. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, yes, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with these people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. The word consider is one of the repeating refrains of this book. Consider, take note of, take stock of, consider your ways, Haggai writes in chapter 1. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50, there were but 20. 
I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month. Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. To really get hold of this passage, you need to understand all the pages that come before this book in the Old Testament. Because Haggai is really bringing together lots of different threads of the Old Testament. I'm going to try and explain as many as I can in half an hour. But if you want to get hold of it, you're going to have to read these first, the pages that come before, which is over half of your Bible. So if you've never dived into the Old Testament, to get hold of what Haggai is saying, we need to get hold of the Old Testament and understand it. You see, this book is written two and a half thousand years ago in a different culture, in a different context, and with a different covenantal relationship between God and his people. And so to get hold of what Haggai is saying here, we need to A, understand a bit of context, and B, understand the importance of the temple and of sacrifice. You see, God's people had been living in the promised land, um, and things had been seemingly going okay, but God's people start to turn away from him. And over centuries, God sends prophet after prophet to warn God's people against idolatry, against indifference, and against injustice. And he said to them, if you do not repent, I'm going to exile you from the promised land. You're going to be taken away from the promised land, and judgment will come upon you. And sure enough, God's people don't listen. And so in 587 BC, uh, the Israelites are taken off into captivity by the Babylons. And for 70 years, they live as a people in exile until the Babylonian empire falls and the Persians rise up. And there's a a decree by a guy called King Cyrus who says to God's people, you can return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple, and to rebuild your lives. And about 50,000 Israelites take themselves and their families, they uproot from the relative comfort of Babylon, and they take the journey to go back to Jerusalem. And when they arrive, they find a city that is utterly desolate and ruined. And if you read the book of Ezra, um, some books earlier, they make quite a good start. They start building the altar. They lay the groundwork for the temple, but then they face opposition. They get lethargic. They lack focus. And so for 16 years, they do nothing of building God's house. And it's into this context that Haggai comes and says to the people of God, you've been busy with your own priorities. It's time to rebuild the house of God so that God is glorified. And so they, they respond and they start making, uh, they start rebuilding the temple, but very quickly they get discouraged because the temple is like this compared to the former temple, which was like this. And Haggai says, don't forget, there's a greater glory that's coming. And the temple, we need to understand, is such a big deal in the Old Testament. It's the place where God dwelt. And Exodus 33, Moses says, um, doesn't he, to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, We don't want to go because it's your presence that differentiates us from all the other people in the world. It's the presence of God that differentiates the Israelites from anybody else. And the temple was the place where God's presence dwelt. So no temple, where's the presence of God for his people? 
And the temple was the place where the Old Testament laws of sacrifice were enacted by the priests. The place where an unclean people could be made clean through the sacrifice of blood and goats and bulls and rams. It's in the temple. So no temple, no sacrifice according to the Old Testament law. No way of making themselves clean. So God's people start to respond to Haggai and to the prophetic provocation. And we pick it up here in chapter 2, verse 10. And we're about three months on from chapter 1, from his first prophetic encouragement to say, come on, people. And the people have responded, and they've started building. And we might think at this point, surely there's nothing else to say. They've responded with obedience. They've started to rebuild the temple with their hands. All good? Well, actually, evidently, things are not as they seem. And there's some issues which Haggai speaks right into in chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. And he starts off in verses 12 and 13. He says, come to the priests and ask them some questions about the law. The priests are God's representatives on earth. They're the ones who enact the Old Testament law of sacrifice and of rituals. And he effectively asks them this question. If something holy comes into contact with something unholy, does it make that thing holy? Well, no. But if you touch a dead body, which is unclean, if you want to know more, read Numbers chapter 19, does it make other things unclean? Well, yes. Uncleanliness spreads in a way that holiness doesn't. And if you want an example of that, think about two children, one with chickenpox and one without chickenpox. Which way does the illness transfer from the child with chickenpox to the child without chickenpox? The child without chickenpox doesn't make the other child better. It's the other way around. Uncleanliness spreads in a way that holiness doesn't. And you want to read more, go to Numbers chapter 19, as I said. And, and, and Haggai says... You think about the law like that, but let me tell you, God's people, what I'm saying about that actually applies to you, Israel, in this context. He turns from looking at the priests, and he starts to speak to the people. And he says, you're busy rebuilding the temple. And you think that merely working with your hands, rebuilding the temple makes you holy. But in fact, he says, you're unclean. And what you offer is unclean. You think that by coming into close contact with the temple, that the temple's holiness comes upon you, but actually your sin and your rebellion is actually making the temple unclean. It's defiling the temple. They are unclean. The people are unclean. You see, the reality is God wants holy hearts, not religious service. What's going on here is the people are working with their hands, thinking that by their hands they're making the temple holy, but their hearts are full of sin, and their hearts are full of disobedience towards God. And they think that by working with their hands, the thing becomes clean, and God says, no, there's uncleanliness in your heart. And the issue is always one of the heart. They were building with their hands, but their hearts were full of sin and uncleanliness. And no amount of work with their hands can make themselves clean. Unclean people cannot make themselves clean, no matter how hard they work. Isn't that a summary of the whole of the Old Testament? 
You see, the law is good, Paul writes in Romans, in that it points out sin, but the law is powerless to change the heart. And sin is an issue of the heart, not of the hands, and not of the eyes. It's an issue of the heart. Obedience to the law, merely responding with their hands but not their hearts, could never make them truly clean and could never regenerate their hearts. This is actually an issue of the heart, not of their hands. But you see, the law pointed forward always to somebody who would fulfill the righteous requirements of the law once and for all, who could deal with the issues of the heart once and for all, who could take away uncleanliness, not through our work, not through our hands, not through our actions, but through his work and his actions. A better sacrifice was needed, and Haggai in this moment is pointing people towards the better sacrifice that is coming. He's reminding them of the Old Testament and saying, it points out sin, but it can never deal with the issue of the heart and of the regeneration that needs to happen in your heart. And he points forward to say something or somebody is coming that is better, that is a better sacrifice, that's a better temple. And we're going to get to that shortly. And then he gets to verse 15, and he writes this, Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone of the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? So i.e., before you started rebuilding the temple, how did you get on? In a nutshell, pretty badly. You only have to read Haggai 1 to know there was a drought and a famine that God actually says that's part of his judgment upon his people for their disobedience. Before they laid stone upon stone upon stone, before they started rebuilding the temple, how did they fare? Poorly. The crops failed them. When they were expecting to draw um, 20, they drew 10. When they were expecting to draw 50, they drew 20. They failed. The crop failed. Because they were focused on themselves and not on the glory of God. But then, something seismic happens on this day, the 24th day of the ninth month of 520 BC. The actual date is probably the 18th of December, 520 BC. Something significant is happening. There is a seismic shift in the spiritual realm on this day for the people of God. Because Haggai says, from this day, I will bless you, says the Lord. From this day, no longer will your crops fail you. No wonder will there be a lack of harvest. There will be an abundant harvest. There is an abundant blessing to come. He says something significant happens on this day that you move from being under judgment to under blessing. And he says, even though the significance of this day is is because they've just planted their crops 
and they're waiting to see, is the harvest going to fail us like it did in previous years? And God says, from this day, I will bless you, and your harvest will come to pass. The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree will produce the harvest of blessing that you long for. And if you want to find out more than that, go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We don't know exactly what happens on this day, but it's all linked around the laying of the foundation stone, because the foundation stone changes everything. What is so significant about this day is it's the day of the refounding of the temple and of the relaying of the foundation stone. And the foundation stone changes everything. Are we at 11 o'clock? Fab. Can I just ask you um, just to stand? We're going to pause for two minutes today. As you know, is Remembrance Sunday. We're going to pause and reflect and remember. Um, and, uh, you know, as we look back to historic and previous world wars and also recognize that there are many active conflict zones in the world today. So we're just going to take two minutes um, to pause and then Nigel's going to come and pray um, over us. So um, let's do this. Let's pray um, as we take a couple of minutes as well. Lord Jesus, before anything else, Lord, we worship you. And we thank you for the one death that has made a difference to the whole of history. We thank you, Lord, that history revolves around your death, Lord Jesus, in our place. And we worship you this morning and we bow before you and we thank you for your mercy and your grace in our lives. Father, we thank you for this nation in which we live. We thank you that we 
live in a nation where we can worship you freely. We thank you that we can gather together. We thank you that we can declare that Jesus is Lord and we can make a song and dance about it. We can celebrate who you are and we can speak about your lordship and your gospel, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for every person through history who has enabled that to take place. We thank you that we live in a nation that is free. And Lord, we pray that that freedom would continue. And Lord, we thank you for every person and every sacrifice that has made that possible, Lord, that we can stand here today and worship you. But right now, particularly, I just want to, I want to pray for every nation in the world where there is conflict still right now, where there is war, where there is unrest. And Lord, we lift to you right now those nations. Maybe if you're from a nation where there is unrest or there is conflict or war right now, I'd love you just to, uh, we're standing already, but let's lift, can I encourage you, lift a hand in the air and let's pray for your nation right now. Father, for everyone standing before you now where there is unrest, where there is strife, where there is fighting. Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit, Lord. As we're gathered today, we say, Lord, will you have your way? Would your kingdom come in those places? Lord, we stand against those who would fight with violence and kill others and see that as a way to resolve conflict, Lord. We stand against that in the name of Jesus, Father. And we pray that we pray for peace to come. Lord, in every, Father, we think especially right now of Syria, Lord, has been on our news. And Lord, we say, may there be peace in that place in the name of Jesus. We say, Lord, pour out your spirit in the troubled quarters of this world. And where those uh, are standing here today representing those nations, Father, I pray particularly, Lord, that you, your hand would still conflict, Lord, that your hand would bring reconciliation and peace. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we lift to you today our nation. Lord, with all the... Uh, it, it's, it's not physical right now, but Lord, there's a much division. And Father, we want to pray that you would bring unity. We want to pray that you would bring a restoration of people looking to you for the answers, as were the foundations of this nation. And Father, we pray for everyone in government and in power. We pray, Lord, let your hand be upon them. We pray, would you lead them by your spirit? We Father, we pray for your protection from the evil one. And Lord, we pray that in this nation, there might be a great turning to you, Lord, and there might be pre peace, there might be reconciliation, and Lord, that there might be um, an honouring of your name once again, Father. Lord, we pray for the upcoming election, Lord, that you would have your way, that your hand would uh, orchestrate, Lord, that we declare that you're sovereign over this, and we say, Lord, have your way, and bring, ultimately, our prayer, Lord, is that you would bring revival in our nation again. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. The 24th day of the ninth month of 520 BC, the day of the refounding of the temple, but more importantly, the day of the relaying or maybe the rededicating of the foundation stone of the temple changes everything. And God's people go from being under judgment to under blessing. Even though they don't finish the temple for another five or six years, Mark this day when the temple is refounded, when the foundation stone is dedicated or relayed. We don't know whether it was, it was rededicated or relayed. I prefer to think it was rededicated because they had neglected it for 16 years. And we'll come to see why in a moment. 
from that day, something radically different happens for the people of God because of our foundation stone. You see, the foundation stone changes everything. The Old Testament period in Haggai is closing. And isn't it quite incredible that in, the, in some of the last words that are spoken in the Old Testament, what Haggai is revealing is there's a problem for uncleanliness in the heart that cannot be dealt with merely by hard work. And there's a coming glory of a greater temple and a greater foundation stone that is going to change things once and for all. You see, Haggai is summarizing the Old Testament, but he's pointing the people forward to the day that is coming when the true and better foundation stone will come and bring blessing upon blessing upon the people of God. Haggai is pointing forward to a greater glory, a greater temple, and a perfect sacrifice. And we enter almost after these words, 500 years of silence. God doesn't speak for nearly 500 years. And God's people are waiting, expecting. What is this greater glory? How is it going to come? How is the problem of the Old Testament going to be resolved once and for all? 500 years of silence. And then enters Jesus Christ. Heaven invades earth. God becomes flesh. God dwells upon his people through his son, Jesus Christ. Not through a physical temple, but through Jesus, who is the true fulfillment of the temple. The promised Messiah, the one who would sacrifice once and for all time to deal with the problem of uncleanliness in our hearts, the true and better foundation stone through whom we are taken out of judgment and into blessing. Thank you, Robert. (laughs) Listen to Jesus's words in Mark 12, which is taken from Psalm 118. The stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that has rejected, Jesus was despised and rejected, much like the Israelites had neglected the foundation stone for 16 years. Jesus was rejected and despised. He was a man of sorrows, a man who was pierced for our transgression, who took the curse of sin upon himself, who paid the price once and for all time doing what no amount of sacrifice of animals could do, and that was dealing with the problem of the heart, turning hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Jesus is the true foundation stone from which everything else is built upon. Jesus is the fulfillment of this passage in the book of Haggai. And from this day, the first Easter AD 33, when Jesus died and rose again, for those of us who are in Christ, we who were dead in our sins have been made alive in Christ Jesus. We who were unclean and unable to make ourselves clean have been declared holy and clean before a holy God. No amount of work of our own hands, no mere trying hard could make us right before God. And Jesus Christ, once and for all sacrifice, declares us clean in the eyes of our Father through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we merely come and we surrender ourselves to him. And he says, I declare you clean, my son, my daughter, in Christ Jesus. We who are under judgment and the wrath of God 
have now been blessed, Ephesians 1 says, with every spiritual blessing. And do you see the turnaround is not because of our hard work with our hands. It's not merely because we put a lot of effort in. It's not merely because we earned it. It's not because of our hard work. It's because God has dealt once and for all time with the issue of sin and has declared God's people blessed and clean and holy. Amen to that. And if you're here this morning and you've you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, and you think that merely trying really hard can earn your way to God, the message is this this morning. You cannot earn your way to God. You have to come through Jesus Christ who paid the price for you. And no amount of trying to fix your own problems will resolve the issue of your heart. What you need is Jesus Christ. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when we come to a time of communion shortly, you can respond this morning to Jesus. And you can say, I don't want to try and fix myself any longer. I want to rest on his unchanging grace and on his perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the true and better foundation stone on which everything else is built. And you know, it would be very tempting to land there. But the message of Haggai is also a call to holiness, as well as the blessing that comes through the foundation stone. You see, in, in the Old Testament, people thought that religious activity made them clean. But God looks at the heart. It wasn't enough to merely build a temple. What God was looking for was a people who had had their hearts changed, not just merely doing religious service. And the invitation of the New Testament is because of what Jesus Christ has done, because he's the, cor- the cornerstone, because he's a true and better foundation stone. He says in response to that, in view of God's mercy, Romans 12 says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. 1 Peter 1 says, as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct. We cannot reduce the gospel merely to forgiveness and a free ticket to heaven. The gospel is an invitation to die to yourself daily. It's an invitation to offer your very self as a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. Not out of guilt, not to try and please God, not to try and earn brownie points with him, but in response to his death, his resurrection, and to the finished work of Jesus Christ. You see, gospel-motivated holiness is not driven out of a desire to please God, but from our position as sons and daughters of the living God himself. And I don't know about you, but every single day when I wake up, I have to contend with my own flesh against lust of the eyes, against anger, against getting distracted from the things of God and forging my own way in life. And gospel-motivated holiness calls us back to the cross. And gospel-motivated holiness will cause us to fight against sin, which so easily entangles us. Gospel-motivated holiness will fight anything that dims our view as Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Gospel-motivated holiness will call us to lay ourselves down at his feet in response to his unmerited mercy and grace. And gospel-motivated holiness will fight anything that threatens to replace Jesus as the supreme treasure 
of our lives. Friends, gospel-motivated holiness is not driven by guilt. It's driven by Christ and all that he has done. And he has sent the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to dwell with us, to live with us, to cause us to remember and to walk in the righteous ways of God. We have not been left as orphans and widows, but we have been filled with the very presence of God himself to go on, to fight sin, to to have Jesus as the supreme treasure of our lives. How do we do this? Not by the work of our hands, but by the inward regeneration of the Spirit in our hearts. Please don't get into try hard, do work hard Christianity. Allow Jesus to regenerate your heart. Allow the spirit to fill you and watch as gospel-motivated holiness flows from you. So the call of Haggai 2 is this. He looks forward to the true foundation stone. And my call this morning is let Jesus Christ be the true foundation stone of your life from which everything is built And in response to Christ, the cornerstone. Let's be a people who are motivated through gospel-motivated holiness. You see, the foundation stone changes everything. The foundation stone changes everything. Can I invite you to stand if you're able to? Can I invite the band just to come back? We're going to go into a time of communion in a couple of moments. And communion is this amazing opportunity that we get to do every week as we gather to remember the finished work of Jesus Christ. And communion is a weekly opportunity for us to consider our ways, the Bible says. We're to consider ourselves before God. And actually, as we come to the communion table, we're to say, God, search my heart. See if there are any ways in me that are unclean. And I want to, I want to lay them down before you. This morning, knowing in 1 John that he is faithful and just to forgive. There are no rituals that you have to go through. The ritual has already, been, the ritual has already happened through the work of Jesus Christ. And as we come to the communion table in a few moments, what I'd love us to do is just to remember the gospel, to remember that Jesus Christ is the true and better foundation stone, and to consider our ways and say, Jesus Would you help me to lay myself down as a living sacrifice unto you? Can we just close your eyes? I just want to pray over us. I just, there are some people here this morning. And you need to be set free from try-hard Christianity. Because you come here every week and you just feel like you're not good enough. And you feel guilty and you think, I can just fix things with my hands, then it's going to be okay. And Jesus wants to set you free from that this morning. He wants to set you free, because if you are in Christ, you have been declared holy. You have been declared clean. And therefore, you can be holy, because he has declared you holy. There are some of you here this morning, you need to take a step, as we're taking communion, you need to go and find somebody who you came with, or some people from the prayer team. Um, And you need to come and you say, I want to be set free this morning from try-hard Christianity. Because the gospel is not come and try hard. 
The gospel has come and rest in his goodness and rest in the foundation stone that is Jesus Christ and of his finished work on the cross. And there are also some here today, and you, and you know that you have been drifting, that, that, that your view of Jesus, he has not been the supreme treasure of your life. And as we come to communion, for some of us, we just need to take a moment to bow before our maker. It's not heavy, but it's serious to bow before him and say, Jesus, I'm sorry that you have not been the supreme treasure of my life. And this is not about coming to church. This is not about offering your money. This is not about serving. This is about Jesus being the supreme treasure above everything else. And you know what? Some of us just need to come before God and say, God, I'm sorry. And I just want to kneel before my maker. And this is in one way, it's a holy moment. It's not a moment we have to stir up. It's a holy moment to come before a holy God who's high and lifted up. Isaiah 6 says, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And we join with the heavenlies this morning singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I pray for us, Jesus. I pray that we would rest in the foundation stone this morning. I pray for those who have got into try-hard Christianity. Lord, would you set them free in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for us, Lord, for many of us who might have uh, allowed other things to dim our view of you as the supreme treasure. Lord, we're sorry. Would you help us to kneel before our maker and say, search me, and then walk in the forgiveness that you've already won for us? Jesus, you're so amazing. Just as the band just play quietly in the background, I just love you just as you feel led just to go to the communion stations. There's four around the room, I think, um, or two at the front, certainly. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you can come and you can put your trust in the true and better foundation stone. Maybe you've been trying to build your life on many different things. And Jesus says there is no other foundation other than Christ. And so this morning, you can put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for the first time and know uncleanliness washed away by the blood of Jesus.